if you uh, were hearing the drink, um, it's called the Wince, and it's uh, it's whiskey, uh, fresh lemon juice, uh, turbinado cane sugar simple syrup, which is important because it brings out the caramelization notes in the whiskey. Caramelization <laughs> notes, nerd. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Peychaud bitters shaken up. I ice. love listening to straight men talk about whiskey. It's <laughs> so funny. Y'all are hilarious. It is a really good drink, though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. And with that, we uh, welcome Saeed Jones to this episode of So Many Damn Books. Uh, yeah, welcome. Saeed Jones, if you um, were regretfully lowly informed, uh, is, the, is the BuzzFeed literary editor. He's the author of Prelude to Prelude to Bruise, and which also just won the Penn Joyce Osterwale Award for Poetry. Congratulations! Woo-hoo! And he also was the steward of the BuzzFeed Literary Fellowship. Well, we were Christopher and I were saying earlier that if there is anybody who is really good at the internet right now, it's you. <laughs> like you're somebody who at BuzzFeed is doing these amazing things, but your Twitter account, if you're not following him, the Ferocity, is. Far and away, it's like the best Twitter account out there right now. It's funny, but it's also like insightful. Mm-hmm. You you link to people whose stories aren't necessarily being heard, and you you sort of have. Ha- do you feel responsibility having these platforms? Um, I do. I mean, one, I should say I'm going on hiatus. Because <laughs> 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 so, I'm going on hiatus from BuzzFeed to work on my next book. It's a memoir um, that we can talk about if you want. And uh, so I decided that I was going to take a break from Twitter and Facebook too. That said, I do love I do love Twitter. Um, a responsibility. I don't. I, I'm not good with that word. I'll say this. I guess you know. I have moments when I am reminded of how many people are paying attention to what I'm saying. Mm. I you know I tend to think, like in my mind, when I'm tweeting or on Facebook. I think, and maybe we all do this. You're thinking first and foremost about the people you interact with the most your friends and the, the people you're like most frequently engaging with. So you, in your mind, it's like, was this like 20, 50 people maybe? And, you know, I have like 25,000 followers. <laughs> so, um, you know, so there have been moments when I'm just like, you know, just thinking out loud, really not trying to make a statement. Um, and uh, it, it can take off in yeah. a way that sometimes is wonderful um, and sometimes can be surprising. So, you know, it, uh, after AWP, um, I was in the uh, in Minneapolis. I was in the airport security line, taking off my shoes and tweeting to you know distract myself from this long line. And I tweeted about how recent and at the conference, um, a white literary magazine editor had come up to me after seeing me read and asked me to submit to his journal. Thank you. Um, and then was like, you know, can you tell me about other black writers that 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 I can reach out to that I can publish? And, and it was and it was odd. I mean, he, on one hand, he was aware. That, that there was a lack of diversity in the work that he was publishing. And sure, he was taking an action, but it also struck me as incredibly lazy. Yeah. You know, I, we, we are readers. We are writers. Read. Yeah. <laughs> Read. Uh, you know, women, people of color, queer people, we're reading your work. <laughs> you know, we're studying up on you. We're not going to random white men and say, please, explain to me. <laughs> show me. Show me where these people are. So, you know, so I just tweeted it, you know, just tweeted about, you know, I think it's a lazy act and took off my shoes, put my phone in, in the bin. And by the time I got out to the other side, it had like over 100 retweets. And <laughs> this whole conversation was taking off and people were arguing with it. And it was just like, oh, my God. So, you know, on one hand, that's absolutely amazing. And I do love that we can have these conversations. On the other hand, it, it can be um, 
tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the it's sort of in the in the like you contain multitudes uh, way. Mm. I feel like your Twitter self, your essayist self, right. and your poet self are like really distinctly different. They are. Yeah. And um, I was curious if that was like the form bringing that out, or if that was something that you're actually like these are separate. Um, I think it's the form. You know, I think it's the mode. Um, you know, I mean, I've been on Twitter since 2008. And, and it's funny, I mean, uh, like a year or so ago, I went back and looked at my archives. And I can see, you know, how the voice and the tone and, and the syntax really developed and changed. It used to be so boring. <laughs> so, so boring. And, and like, um, maybe it was like... 2010 when I started doing like the stage directions and the fainting and all of that which we really added this <laughs> other layer and it was a revelation birthed out of like oh why do I have to tell the truth I don't have to tell the truth <laughs> <laughs> like I can say I'm flying on a trapeze right now what, what does it matter you know um, so you know so that it that's become um, it snowballs yeah. that that sense of form and um, I guess sometimes I disrupt it but that's mostly just where I am um, I feel like Twitter is like my most kind of conversational slightly heightened slightly heightened in all ways, so I'm slightly more aggressive than I actually am. I'm slightly more declarative. I'm actually, like, really ambivalent um, <laughs> about most things. Um, but, you know, like, Twitter doesn't really, you know, 140 characters, you don't have a lot of room for nuance and ambivalence, <laughs> so you kind of have to make a statement and stick with it. Um, so people are often surprised by that. And then, you know, I think um, with the essays and the poetry, it is very different. I mean, for essays, um, you know... I, I mean, I go back to, to James Baldwin, I go to Joan Didion, I go to June Jordan, um, Audre Lorde, these, these writers who, um, they weren't just writing beautiful work, it was rooted in, in this sense of wisdom, um, in this sense of, I'm saying this to save my life, and, and if I'm lucky, it will maybe save your life too. Mm. And, um, and so when I decide to write an essay, that's just where I'm rooted. Um, I've tried to write funny <laughs> essays <laughs> or even essays just like with a little more you know a little lighter in tone and I'm just not good at it frankly um I even tried like a few weeks ago and it just like I was like oh let's, let's set this aside <laughs> one day I'll get there but I think that's it's because it's the purpose that brings me to the essay I'm you know I'm a little more serious and then poetry is um for me it's an escape um which is odd because I escape to go to a world that is perhaps even more harrowing <laughs> right. um, than, you know, the real world. I mean, my poems, are just, everyone's in danger all the time. Yeah. There's just this sense of peril. But at the same time, it, it is an escape. It's this, this fantasy that allows me in a more lyrical, image-driven way to work through ideas. So, you know, so I'm not sitting there, you know, trying to be, you know, so distinct in these different modes, but I think the purpose just kind of shapes. You don't put on like a hat. The language. Like, I'm right. my Twitter hat. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy. Lately, I've been trying actually to um, disrupt. Dread to say disrupt because I know, but to to um, complicate that, especially on Twitter. You know, I've started. Um, I actually I was thinking of um, Citizen, and I you know I did a, a series of tweets one day, um, in the second person, mm. um, about the experience of. Um, hearing another news story about another black person, you know, involved in another instance of 
police brutality in another city and just and, and how it just washes over you you know and you and you're at work and you you know do you even turn to your coworker and tell them about it and can you even remember the person's name weren't you just weren't we just talking about someone else what city you know and so i just you know it was maybe i don't know eight tweets all in second person and a very very different tone that i think startled some people <laughs> at first um and then i went right back to like talking about like dick pics and, and, and it, so I got all of these followers really quickly yeah. who were like ooh this serious you know because we were sharing and then they were very confused and immediately back to Neville Longbottom yeah because I was like talking about like Neville Longbottom and Paul Newman or... <laughs> <laughs> um, well I mean you were sort of touching on this but the um, in your poetry in Prelude to Bruise mm-hmm. um, there, it's it's very violent. There's violent imagery in, in every, almost every single poem of, right. of like, s- like fire and mm-hmm. gunshots. And I was curious if that if if poetry brings you to like look at violent image like this these violent mm-hmm. imagery, or is it really more having to do with this character who kind of is all the way through this mm-hmm. collection? A boy is it is it his life that's that's violent? That's a good question. Um, I think it was Boy. I think <laughs> Boy brought all of this violence into my work um, in a way I didn't quite expect. I mean, I wrote, I, you know, I worked on the poems, um, the earliest poems I started when I was in graduate school, so 2008. And so I, I was writing these poems for three years before Boy even appeared. And so there were a lot of poems like Kudzu or Mississippi Drowning, um, Meridian, these poems that are rooted in the Southern landscape and, and, and are usually about desire, you know, mm-hmm. and, and are most often a conversation, you know, between two people, two bodies. Um, and then and then I wrote a poem about a boy who, you know, is wearing his mom's dress and, and, and that was the blue dress. And then, you know, I wrote another poem about a dress and, and then, I, you know, it just, I, I had all these questions. And, um, and so then it became, uh, you know, each poem became another moment in this boy's life and you know and if you're going to pursue this then you have to give him something to do and so I gave him this father figure and um and so you know and I wanted it to be specific so then you know the book has to have its own the world has to have its own vocabulary um and so boy's life is actually very different from mine I didn't grow up around guns but I felt like you know this I felt like they were kind of like living in a cabin kind of at the edge of town not in the suburbs where I grew up and I I felt like his father would be a hunter and you know if if you've grown up around that, the images, the things you see, clearly they have like a family Bible. You know, all of these mm-hmm. things like begin to inform the Nina Simone record. Um, you know, that that becomes the um, the vocabulary of the book. So, yeah, it kind of surprised me actually in the end that it was such a um, uh, intensely violent <laughs> world. <laughs> even the, um, you know, because even the, uh, the, the silence is violent in a way. You yeah. know, even the, the softer moment still has this, this sense of... Um, need this intense need and i guess that to me is what violence is you know when you need and you want something so much you 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 surpass like a, a boundary and and so that's that's part of the book that that boy you know he needs to be himself and he doesn't even know what that is um and so his violence is the the journey the like he's like a bullet right just like rocketing across this landscape and of course you know um his, his father everyone's like kind of responding to that you know so the father trying to control and contain and then and then you know and then he has all of these series of lovers who all are bringing their own intense need um so i guess that's where the violence comes from the um it's cool to hear you talk about creating the story and even the fact that you that you call it a book mm-hmm. i had never 
this this collection made me like poetry mm. in a way that nothing else ever had. You know, I had mm-hmm. taken poetry classes in school and read Billy Collins and you know these poets who are like the great poets, whatever. But this it I don't know if it was the fact that there was a linked narrative and there was the idea that you were you were telling a story, a linear story. And you've sort of already answered this, but it seems like the character came to you and then you you were stuck with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the great pleasure of seeing you at an event earlier this year called Nocturne by a company called The Bellwether. And it, it was sort of this immersive thing about three of the poems and mm-hmm. bringing it to life. Mm-hmm. Is that... It's sort of a, a form content question again, mm-hmm. I guess. It, did it come from... Did it come from this character, or did you have the idea, like, I want to tell a story through poetry? Um, it came from the character. It really did. Um, because I just, I, um, I I mean, I have this, t- and I'm going to have to learn to uh, to, to, to shake things up, but you will notice uh, <laughs> that many of my poems, so the one poem I read actually is different in this way, but often my poems, you know, you I kind of set the scene, and you get a sense of, information you think you are aware as a reader of kind of what the dynamic is so you know one of the poems um, that's really important in the book in terms of the narrative is boy in a well-boned corset you know so you you it describes the house you know in the field outside and then it takes you into um, the house and there's clearly been some kind of fight like things are knocked over there's broken glass on the floor there the record player is skipping you know and it's being ignored and and then boy is essentially just standing at the window um, and, and that you think is, you know, it, and, and then of course the father is outside burning, um, you know, the lingerie and all these things that he'd find, that he had found his son, um, wearing, and you think that's it. And then at the very end, it's, he's burning all of the clothes in the field that I had just described. And I n- neglected to mention <laughs> that, you know, huge <laughs> fire in the poem's opening. So, you know, so the poems often end with this like startling, like, oh my God moment. And, um, and that would surprise me as a writer because I write one line at a time. Usually I start with the first line or a title and that's it and I don't know where it's going to take me. Um, It's why these poems aren't autobiographical because even if I would start with something that was rooted in fact, you know, if an image or or a lyric kind of comes along that takes me somewhere else, I follow it. So I'm usually just as surprised as anyone else (laughs) by what happens at the end of the poems. And and so, you know, over time, uh, as I was writing about Boy, these beats at the end, I mean, you're, you know, could you imagine you're like, what, 12 or 13 and you're watching your father in the field, like just creating this bonfire of these clothes. Yeah. I mean, that is an amazing image. And I just go, well, what was, what did he do after he came back inside? <laughs> you know, had they already had dinner? Were they going to have dinner later? Did boy just go to his room? Did he run away that night? Um, did him and his father speak? What's the next week like? Right. You know, do they ever speak about this again? So it just leads to all of these questions, and those become other poems. Because for me, there's only so much you can do in one poem. The way you're speaking of this, it's it's very novelistic, you yeah. know. And and is, I guess that something that I always sort of think about when I'm reading poetry is um, why isn't why did it come to you in this form? Do you think, and not as like a novel or? That's a good question. Um, I mean, in some ways, it, there there is a short story in the middle of the, of the right, right. right toward the end of the book, right? And I wrote that well after I thought I was done with the book. And then Roxanne Gay asked me to write a short story, and all I could think about was boy still. So I wrote a story about him. Um, I'm not sure. I think at the time that I was writing these poems, poetry was what I felt I was best at, at a, as a writer. Um, <laughs> how did you come to poetry? I mean, like, what? Oh. How did 
Uh, it seems like something that has to like romance you in a way. But it does. It does. I mean, you know, I started, um, you know, when I was in middle school, I was very much involved in theater and um, and always wanted to play the girls parts. I hated <laughs> the parts uh, that that were available to me as as a as a guy, as a black guy in the suburbs. I just felt like I just I just was so frustrated. I mean, I just always wanted to be like I, I say this all the time, but I really didn't want to be like Martha and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, um, man. <laughs> I just really wanted that part. So, um, you know, so. Uh, the monologues and and the diatribes <laughs> that these characters get, I really envied. And so then, you know, the first poems I wrote were usually monologues, actually. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, persona poems existed really as a form at the time, but that's what I was doing. And I would write them in the voices typically of women from Greek mythology. So Penelope, Medusa, Medea. Um, and I just kind of stuck with it. And I, I don't know why, I think it was literally the simple fact that poetry is what, someone noticed you know mm. um i you know at, at some point you know in high school or in college i started getting feedback from teachers you know where it it became something to that distinguished me all of a sudden you know and you know when you're young you you kind of just run at approval you know <laughs> like whatever it is and i and i do think i mean i think you know if, if someone if i'd been writing stories and someone had noticed that maybe i would have gone in a different route but i liked it and um, and the, and I guess part of it is the difference between poetry and short fiction, um, and fiction. I guess for me is that poetry is a more of a performative act. And so coming from a performance background, I loved that I could write poetry that could thrive on the page, but also you know really have this this fire when it's when it's read out loud. But poetry is so personal. I mean, yeah. or it, that's what I always find is hmm. I I know that I'm supposed to be separating the author from the speaker mm. in, in poetry, um, of course. Mm -hmm. But I find it to be incredibly difficult. Um, and I feel like I can't be, a, I'm not alone in, in that, at in all. that separation. <laughs> um, so I, you know, do you, do you think about that audience at all or, or do you? I do. Um, you know, I'm more aware of it now. I think now that the book is out because one thing, you know, you publish the book and you think, you know, in some sense, what are the conversations and some of the reactions? And in some ways you do, um, but then you're, you can often be surprised. And so I remember doing an interview um, at one point and, and this person had read my work very thoughtfully, very intelligent reading. And um, they asked me what, what it was like um, writing now as a, as a survivor of child abuse. Hmm. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a survivor of child <laughs> abuse. Um, I was the most spoiled kid. You know? <laughs> so, oh no, you know, and I grew up with my mother, not my father, you know, it's totally different. And so, and that, and I, I was so startled. Um, and so in some ways, I guess that's a, a victory. I mean, to really create this sense of reality that, that people are concerned. There are probably all these readers out there who like are really worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> like a Kickstarter therapy. For <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, now I find it mostly amusing, <laughs> you know, because I think part of it is American culture's relationship to poetry. We don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And and there's not um, a lot of familiarity in, in a contemporary sense. So, you know, we're so our guard is down. And so you see the eye. Yeah. You know, or if 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 the poet is a young gay black man and the character in the poem is a young gay black man, you know, understandably, you kind of it bleeds together, and it's very seductive, you know. But um, but boy, it's pretty different for me. Yeah. <laughs>
it's funny to hear you say that you were a theater guy because I see it in these poems mm -hmm. from just like the basic nerdiest like I've studied way too much Shakespearean <laughs> um, scansion. The way that like rhythm, 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 and it breaks at the end just as the character is sort of breaking out. Right. And the there's a propulsion to it that I think, in terms of what you're saying about how American po Americans struggle mm -hmm. with poetry and with the eye, but for some reason, everybody I know who's read this collection, the eye sort of becomes them too. Yeah. Like there's there's something that just is immediately internalized mm -hmm. about these poems, um, regardless of of who you are, where you are, when you are as you're reading them. It's really magical. Yeah, I mean that's great. I mean my my I, my hope. I think you know one of the more radical gestures of the book um, that I uh, have attempted is to make the everyman a black queer southern kid you know yeah. for most of the book and then a young man you know uh, that he is that he should be the everyman he should be the the um epic hero he should be the child walking into the woods in the fairy tale and you know and i think that's really powerful and i and i wanted to do that because i felt and and to keep it just boy i don't know his name i, I never <laughs> did bother to figure out what his name was um I felt that by keeping it as boy, in the same way that Claudia Rankin uses the second person, it to you, um, it 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 rejects um, our tendency to contain the narrative, mm -hmm. to say, oh, this is a horrible thing that happened to Claudia Rankin, mm. or oh, this is a series of poems about something that happened to this guy named Said Jones, and but when it's you in Citizen, or when it's boy, I think it, it, it takes on this resonance that kind of swallows us up into it and and I and I hope that happens because you the for me the book has to work in the sense of because boy doesn't talk I don't think there there's very little direct address he's not a very eloquent talkative <laughs> kind of person right he is it's like all action and image and what he sees and so the only way you're going to the way only way it can work I feel like with a sustained narrative is if you really feel like you are boy like you are with him and you are aware or you think you are of how he might feel in that moment because he's not going to tell you, you know, it's, it's very, you know, I mean, and so when he does, it's really startling, you know, so when he runs away and he's, you know, if, what does he say to his father? If you ever find me, I won't be there. You know, it's very yeah. direct kind of startling moments, but typically you just have to be rooted. And I think, you know, it's powerful. It's powerful to hear, you know, a young white man say, I was there, I was there with <laughs> you when I was reading these poems, because isn't that what we need? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. what we so desperately need? And I think that's part of what was very exciting about reading this is like like Drew, most of my poetry reading it was canon mm -hmm. or or stuff that was it's assigned. Old white dudes. Yeah, it's a lot of old and white Emily dudes. Dickinson, and Emily Dickinson. Like there you go. Thank and God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God for Emily Dickinson. Yeah. Um and uh, but reading uh reading Citizen and reading yours, I'm I'm suddenly very because it's like this is happening now mm -hmm. these are people that are writing now and this emotion is it's not like there's no you know distance now it's one of these things was like okay now i need to be i need to be reading poetry i need oh, to be reading so what's to going on i mean you know it's it's interesting you you publish a book you know uh, you know and especially poems poems in particular are written in such isolation because it's like one at a time and you know even when i was aware i i was writing the book i didn't really always have a sense of order i wasn't thinking mm -hmm. about that until much later so you know i'm just just whatever kind of 
constructed memory I would kind of create for boy, I would write about it in the moment. And, and so, you know, you, and then you have the book and then the book is in the world and it's then immediately encased in the culture and in the news. And, and so it's been interesting for me already to see it change. So um, there are no policemen in the book, right? There's no um, government, you know, never appears. Like there's not this sense of, of martial law at all. That's not an element. It, it wasn't something I thought about. Um, it wasn't just really rooted in my life. And, but the book came out um, last September. And so, you know, while I was at my book party, you know, and doing this reading in New York, people were marching and protesting in Ferguson and dealing with the curfews and, you know, and I, and all of a sudden, you know, reading Anthracite, the first book in the poem, you know, everything born black in this town also burns. The book suddenly took on a different color, you know, that I can't not see that color now. Yeah. And and I feel that with Claudia Rankin's book as well. And, you know, um, and I don't know, um, when Roxane Gay uh, published um, An Untamed State, you're right. You're then thinking about rape culture, you know, and as an ongoing conversation. Um, so that's been interesting just to see how it it begins to live in the world as a cultural object. And I, I guess that will keep changing as we change. Yeah. Well, the, with Claudia's book, there's that, like that book is dealing with so many things, but it's, it's pre Ferguson. It's published mm -hmm. um, early last mm -hmm. year, I think. Mm -hmm. And just to see that it, it's so present yeah. every time you pick it up. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can imagine, you can imagine just like, I don't, because I wasn't thinking about when it was published, I was expecting to turn the page and have, and have a Ferguson right. part of it. Yeah, I kind yeah. of thought that that was going to be yeah. next because yeah. I didn't think about the publication yeah. history of it. Um, I mean, even the cover, right, which which has the hoodie that you know in some ways alludes to Trayvon Martin, um, and and it's also a bit of a double image, right? Because the, the, typically when we talk about hoods, it's the white hood, the, the mm -hmm. Klansman. Um, I gasped when I first saw <laughs> the like I literally it was like <gasps> I was in no way prepared, and it was it was that shock of even before I opened the book, I was aware that something had arrived, yeah. something had arrived, and, um, and it's here. I don't. I'm not sure we've said so far. Um, we're talking about Claudia Rankin's uh, "Citizen," an American lyric, yes. um, which was a National Book Award finalist, and which we uh, all read to discuss in the next part. But before we get there, I did want to mention that, like the reading these two together and thinking of them almost in conversation mm -hmm. in some way, I was thinking about this uh, quote that you had in your Flavor Wire interview. Mm -hmm. Um, where you said, I found that when I was writing poems, if I made a location too familiar, too contemporary, it was difficult for me to write about it poetically. Mm -hmm. And like Rankin's like yeah. the exact opposite totally. of that. Totally. And so um, do you, do you, was, is that just for a prelude to bruise thing now? Or do you, do you find yourself after reading Claudia that uh, Rankin that you'd like to, like to be able to write contemporary? That's a good point. Um, yeah. I mean, it is hard. Um, uh, I remember at one point trying to write a poem um, for this book that involved a car, and I was just <laughs> like, "What? That like, how do you make a seatbelt poetic?" You know, I just. <laughs> <really> <laughs> and so, you know, I know that the story that's in the book is is more contemporary and more realistic. But even then, it's it's I keep it kind of bare bones. You know, I was surprised the internet appears at all in the book, right? Um, 
I think that'll change, probably. I've actually written very few poems since I've published the book. I think I've written exactly three poems um, mm. since I published Prelude to Bruce. Because in part, I don't like I don't like to watch when pe- I don't like to write when people are looking. Mm. Um, I don't like to write when I feel like people are looking over my shoulder. Um, poetry, in particular, because it really has to. For me, poetry. I mean, it is it is what it is. It it, it is the boy sneaking out of the house and trying on a dress, you know, while no one is looking and that, 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 you know, these amazing scenes, these moments, you know, it's so fabulous are only possible because he thinks he isn't being watched. And, and that's how I write poetry. (laughs) Um, So that'll change, but you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll open up. I have this fantasy where I, I pretend, you know, because the mother figure in the book is, you know, maybe she's passed away. Sometimes I, I think she just like ran away, and um, and so I have this this fantasy where Citizen is actually about the mom's life. Out <laughs> alone. She got away from her clearly horrible husband, and just she just wasn't into being a mom, and she became like a professor. <laughs> she's out in the world dealing really dealing with microaggressions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember when when the Pulitzers were announced, mm-hmm. you had tweeted being like, "I can't believe this wasn't nominated." for oh poetry. I forgot about that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Well, one thing, I, <laughs> thinking of this book as poetry right. was something that I hadn't thought of until that point. Because there are, there are poems, right. like s- classically looking, po- you look at it and there's line breaks mm-hmm. and things like that. But there are also these, these short, short stories, short essays that, that feel poetic but mm-hmm. don't necessarily feel like a poem. Right. And that, that back and forth mm-hmm. felt very interesting as I was reading it. And mm-hmm. it sort of, it kept me like, it kept me tense the whole time. Right. I can't it even it say why. Uncom- it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, which I love, you know, um, I think, you know, be, I mean, in her book was, it was a, um, a finalist for, it won the National Book Critics Circle Award mm-hmm. for Poetry, but it was a finalist also for criticism, which is the first time that's ever happened. Whoa. Um, and, and like rightfully so, right? It is both of these things and you kind of have to honor both mm-hmm. aspects of the book, right? If you're going to be genuine. I love that. I think that's the future of poetry, really. Um, I, I do wonder sometimes if I will ever write another poetry collection huh. or if... Like I'm, I'm writing a memoir right now that's prose, um, you know. But it's I'm writing it as a poet. I'm writing it as a poet, um, and you know, and it, it's so you know at BuzzFeed, you know, when I was editing breaking news, and you know, and <laughs> I worked, you know, with three or four months um, with this amazing reporter Stephen Thrasher, a freelance uh, journalist, on this investigative story about HIV criminalization in um, Missouri, and I realized I was editing it as a poet, you know, and and he was so into it <laughs> the, the attention to detail that, yeah. that you know that brings and so you know that's what I'm obsessed with and I think that's the future of poetry I think if poetry really is going to live in this world it's going to live in these these different forms that kind of tricks you you know and so that's why I think Twitter is wonderful that's why I think like Hilton Owls the New Yorker critic is actually really awesome on Facebook he writes these like paragraph long status updates that are really like micro essays so I'm really interested in what Claudia doing in terms of taking us in an unexpected way giving you you know you thought you came from a poetry and then you kind of get an essay about yeah. race and tennis you know? yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, amazing. Oh, yeah and that yeah. actually was one of the off-putting and disrupting things and it was when she was on the on the couch like watching the Williams sisters yeah and going over that and I was I was completely not expecting that at all yeah. and then like then 
once that's over, she almost switches immediately uh-huh. into these, um, I, these scripts. Yeah, I love it. I love. I think is it um what's the character in Greek mythology? Is it Morpheus? Like whenever you touch him, he changes immediately. So there's a there's yeah, this, I think this, so. I think it's yeah, and um. And he's like a random minor god, and then like you touch him, and he turns into a well, and then he turns into you know, he turns into water, anything to like get away from you, so he can get out of your grip. And I just love that. I love that. I love these, not not difficult in the sense of of being frustrating, but tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 writer as a trickster, I've always been very interested in, and and I think that's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the citizen demands it demands so much of the reader because of that tricky right. thing, but also. It, it feels like the first collection of anything, essays, stories, poems, it's the first collected writing I feel like I've read that, that demands attention on the huge problem that we're facing right mm-hmm. now in this country, but in a way that's like, you could teach this in school. You could yeah. give this to high schoolers mm-hmm. and be like, look at the, the formal invention mm-hmm. here, but also... You can like we're writing about shit that's going on right now. Yeah. Your friends are in trouble because of this. Right, right. Yeah. And and this is to change this this will literally change your mind. I mean right. that's yeah. That's the power of it. Or 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 what I hope I yeah. hope the power of ranking yeah. is. What is a, like and what a gift. <laughs> right. What a gift. I mean I I was telling someone, you know, it's it's been really amazing to have my book out at the same time as Citizen because and I mean, and I, I have written about this, but I, I've been at, you know, fancy literary events, mm. you know, celebrating my book. And then there's a moment that 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 feels like it's ripped from the pages of Citizen right then. And it's just such a um, slap in the face, you know. And, and so I have returned to her book, mm-hmm. you know, in the way that you re- would return to a trusted family member, the way yeah. you return to any person with wisdom to make sense of this this ongoing narrative. And I, I think, you know, how fortunate and really, like, it's like America has done us one solid, you know, <laughs> like by, <laughs> by, like by aligning the stars so that right when we're in this cultural moment, and I keep thinking, like, what is this moment? When did it begin? When did it end? Did it start with Michael Brown? Did it start with Trayvon Martin, Rakia Boyd? Or maybe it started with Emmett Till. Maybe it started as soon as, you know, we got here. Um, but, you know, this, 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 this desperate need for a logic. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, just really want a logic or maybe a lyric, you know, to to make sense of what the hell is going on because it's it's gotten to the point that I feel either crazy or numb, you know, yeah. on an ongoing basis, you know. I I feel like that that tone of you're either crazy or numb is mm-hmm. uh right in uh that essay that you're talking about your your essay self-portrait of the artist as ungrateful black writer. Yeah. Um, and reading that, I just, <laughs> I was sitting at work reading it, and I was like, I have to go take a walk <laughs> right now. Because wow. it just, I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. As somebody who, whose collection I have forced into, like, everybody's <laughs> hands, and I'm like, this guy is so cool. Are you following him on Twitter? To see that, like, that Pe- not only are these things happening to you, but that people don't realize yeah. that people aren't thinking that one extra half second about how to be just a decent human being mm-hmm. i was like I, yeah i need a minute and ignorance isn't innocence in yeah. this you know is really mm-hmm. that's true yeah i mean i, I don't know. you know I've, I've learned a few things in the last few years um 
my mother died really unexpectedly a few years ago. And, um, and something I kind of took away from that was that no one is sacred. You know, I was so startled um, by, by her sentence ending, you know, um, so quickly and without apology, just how it's over. Um, and so it's really challenged me to think about this idea that no one is sacred, you know. Um, so either that could be, you know, the potential of your life, it could end. It could end. It doesn't matter if you have these great ideas, um, or it could be, you know, yeah, you, you've, you're an artist, you're out doing something really wonderful, and and then boom, mm -hmm. you know, America happens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, no one is sacred. No one's protected from it. And even, you know, I was um, recently I was um, riding the train with Mark Doty um, to to Rutgers, <laughs> which was the most like the, the best hour long train ride I, I will ever have. <laughs> um, sitting there talking to him, and we were talking about. Um, citizen and talking about Claudia Rankin and he was saying he had just been at um, some event and I won't say where um, with Claudia and he was he went through like because I guess they were together over the course of a weekend two or three racist incidents that happened that and again it just it's amazing because it's like right out of the book that that catalog of incidents mm -hmm. that opens the book it's just almost comical how you know she could do like um an addendum you know and like and like crowdsource you know and yeah. like i could be like here claudia here's my essay here's some you know because it's just it's just happening all the time um what's good is that we're talking about it now um i was terrified to write that essay i was very very um nervous um, it was birthed out of, I mean, two things worked. <laughs> One, my, my editor, Dory Schaefer at BuzzFeed, was at the party. She's the colleague who's standing across from me at the party in Miami when um, this, this white person says, um, I'm going to do that racist thing where I touch your hair and he touches my hair. And, and we both were shocked. If she had not been there, mm -hmm. I honestly think I would have made myself forget it. You know, wow. because because I mean, and I, I was talking to a writer the other day. I was like, how when when we were at these literary events and people are drinking, how many times have you seen a man say or do something sexist to a woman in a very subtle way? How many times have you heard someone say, "Look at all these girls in a, a room full of thirty-year-old women," right? Um, how many times have you you know seen like that that subtle racism? And we we make ourselves forget it because we're going to be here tomorrow, we're going to be here next week, and we just would rather move on, frankly. So if she hadn't been there I think I would have forgotten it and then you know uh, months and months later you know in a different email conversation I brought it I brought up the Miami incident and Dory was like hey I think you should write it and I told her I was like give me a month mm -hmm. I really before I even wrote it I was like I just really need to think about this because I wasn't sure I mean you know power protects itself mm -hmm. um, very um, effectively and, you know, and there is a cost um, to, to speaking against it. There's always a cost. And, you know, and, and I talk about this in the essay, but, the, you know, we see how writers who speak out then become political poets, mm -hmm. then become, you know, for, for, and this happens all the time. You see, like, black writers, if they, if they write a poem about race, you know, then they're a race poet, right? That's what, you know, that's what how yeah. people used to refer to people, right? Um, and, and you see how it, you know, it's just like eschewed. We see how we begin to act like, oh, that person's just always angry. Oh, that's just their shtick. And we begin to unlisten to them. And um, and so I was I was very aware of that risk and aware that I'm also young. I mean, this is my first book and, you know, um, 
but I, I had to do it. I just, it, it, because the fact that months later I was obviously still thinking about it really struck me. And I'm grateful that Dory worked with me on it because it was hard every step of the way, you know. Um, even when I wrote the first draft, actually, I wasn't in the essay very much. I kept using all of these historical examples because, my goodness, there were so many. It was like a whole, there was like a whole Wallace Stevens. Um, and then she was like, I think you're hedging, actually, you know. And so you see, you know, it's, we, and that's, I guess that is the, um, that's what I find so interesting when when a white person or anyone is surprised when someone speaks up and says, hey, I this just happened. This is real. This is how I feel. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, do you not think I haven't been wearing myself out yeah. trying to rationalize and, and make excuses and empathy? Do you not think I haven't been doing that for, since it happened? <laughs> of course. you know. And so by the time, the truth is by the time people take to the streets in Baltimore or take to the streets and wherever they will take to the streets tomorrow, um, they have been exhausted and, and internalizing and trying to make sense of it for years for years and the difference is you get to a moment when it's just too much so this leads to um a question about art mm. relating to those people and relating to that that breaking point that point of being so tired i mean i'm reading vonnegut's breakfast of champions right now mm. and he's so angry and tired <laughs> of just like of everybody being terrible mm -hmm. just across the board and I'm thinking about this book of this guy who I had never read it, and I'm coming to him as he's a humorist. Mm. Like, he's a funny writer, mm -hmm. or he's a sci-fi writer. And coming to Claudia's book and just seeing this moment of, like, we're going to talk about these things. And even a little bit with Prelude, like, we're going to, and Roxane Gay's work, these, mm. can art change people's minds? Can it really do that? Can it, can it either change people's minds or can it give solace to people who feel tired? Mm -hmm who feel worn out mm -hmm. and more than change minds too is change policy or change. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I don't know. It's, it's something that when I'm reading something that's not, you know, when it's, it's just like fluffy or fun and, and I'm, I'm feeling like, am I wasting my time? Like, should I be, should I be going to something that's something like that's making me think and get mm -hmm. to be part of the culture in mm -hmm. this way? I don't know. I, I feel like there's, you you have to you have to be constantly like looking at this whole picture mm -hmm. and it's really hard to when you're looking down the barrel of something like this to then try to go back to something like oh i'm going to read something fluffy <laughs> just like <laughs> it, to have these things next to each other like having kurt vonnegut next to claudia rankin mm -hmm. or next to you is just like it's strange it's a uh, i don't know the tone and and how you can change minds and change change action well i mean you know i mean i i think we need it all we need it all. I mean, you know, I think a lot about, and obviously this is part of what Twitter is. For me, it's part of it. It's like a pressure release valve, which I, <laughs> which is why I guess my voice, you know, it's the ferocity. It's, it's, but it's that part of myself that is like, I got to get this off my chest, um, which is why, you know, I, like as I was saying before, I'm actually way more ambivalent and aloof, like actually annoyingly aloof as my friends lately have, have picked up on and um, <laughs> have clarified to me. Um, but, you know, Twitter, that's where it goes. That's where the, like, that's the fierceness, that kind of like that dagger rhetoric um, but we need it all. I mean, and I think about my God, it, it, pop culture and, and, you know, and the entertainment, the fluff, I would love better pop culture. And I mean, better in the sense of, 
God, it was really weird to be watching the last Avengers movie <laughs> um, and really enjoying it in some ways and enjoying the, the great escape. And then, you know, the rape joke that like isn't even funny. Um, yeah. And, and Robbie Downer, Robert Downey Jr.'s character makes it really unexpectedly. And the way they, they write about uh, the, the way um, Scarlett Johansson's character is written is just so unintelligent, you know? So, I love fluff. <laughs> I think we need it. I mean, I, I, you know, I love Citizen, um, but I'm also living it. So I, I'm very grateful for these diversions. Um, the problem is, in fact, obviously, there is no real escape. You right. know, you, you go to watch, a, you know, a movie about a god and several superheroes and, you know, a woman <laughs> who can, like, change people's brains. And, 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 and invariably, it's a movie about patriarchy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the same you know i was even i mean it's so silly but i was um there's a um a target commercial featuring the avengers i've just i've been thinking about this it's just i've seen it twice now and it, it has all of, it's like the avengers as um the action figures and it's it's a cute little da 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 and they're fighting ultron or whatever black widow's character just isn't there all of the male characters are in the commercial except for her and there's and there's no reason <laughs> that was just like and it was one of those things right it's a silly two minute commercial why am I even thinking about this why does it even register why am I talking about it now but it's because when you start paying attention mm -hmm. it's just everywhere you know um, apparently I, I was reading randomly um, a, a few months ago that the color blue didn't exist in in human language for like for a while. Actually, like it's like apparently the color blue does not appear in like Homer's writings. Like the the, oh. uh, the ocean is usually like green or something like that. And and so the the theory I guess that the scientists have come up with is that you know we don't really see colors until we have a name for them. Um, and so they were able to go through and look through all of these different languages and notice the moment in which blue enters all of these languages and then suddenly everything's blue. And so that's what it, that's what culture feels like to me um, is once you notice it, you start seeing it everywhere yeah. <laughs> for better or worse. And, and so with books like Citizen or, you know, for me, Toni Morrison's work or James Baldwin or, you know, my God, you know, who hasn't who doesn't have a draft of their own goodbye to all that essay? Right? <laughs> that's actually a really good example. Right. Joan Diddy writes this damn essay. I bet she regrets it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, seriously. I wish I just kept that from them. They, they couldn't handle it. Um, you know, she writes this essay. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, yeah, me too. Goodbye, too. Right. You, you start seeing um, it everywhere. It's like, you know, once you think of the color blue, you can't not see it. Um, so that's my long winded way of saying, like, I wish we had more fluff. And because I think it serves an important, almost psychological function, which mm. is giving us a moment to breathe. I mean, that's why film and TV are so important. That fantasy, in some ways, is um, is, is sustaining, which mm -hmm. is what makes um, a lack of diversity and and, a, and an overabundance of misogyny in in film um, and television so such a betrayal. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's I I think about my like go to fluff thing when the world has gotten mm. too much. And it's the Birdcage, which has a Ooh. lot of problems, mm. but also thinking about that movie being yeah. made in the mid '90s, right? And the fact that it is like at the end of the day, it's just a, a celebratory thing, while also putting forth what at the time was a progressive social message. Right. And I'm like, if that's if that's my go-to fluff, <laughs> like I want I want more of that, yeah. you know, because yeah. there 
we're all talking about these things right now. I want the like it's just a damn good movie and it's, it's funny and you'll movie. enjoy yourself, but yeah. also you'll walk away and be like, "Hey, how do I like okay, I'm happy. Now let me also make the world better." Right. Right. Yeah. Mad. My my go-to is The Fifth Element. But even then, you know, yeah. that's a great one. Scott Issues is my favorite one of uh, movies. Mad Max, the new I mean, yeah, I need to yeah, see it. I know, that? I need to go. I'm yes. actually not very good about going to the movies. I don't know what it is. I think it's actually because I'm like very lazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so the whole having to get get a ticket and go somewhere, and sit <laughs> there, I just, uh, but I really want to see it. Yeah. Well, and it's it's one of those that you don't don't watch it on your phone, you know. Go mm, see it. With yes. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. Maybe I'll go see it today. We uh, we usually uh, end, as our listeners know, uh, so many damn books with uh, recommendations. Um, oh. I'm gonna recommend recommend that. I'm okay. gonna recommend going see Mad Max, and uh, and I'm gonna recommend Heidi Julevitz's The Folded Clock, um, which is she just published her journal um, oh. for two years. Whoa! And it's um, it's it's interesting because she's really into objects and like mm-hmm. o- do you own anything hmm. and i've been thinking about oh. it ever since of like do you own objects it's like no they come into your life they leave your life like you can throw some things away and that's as close as like huh. if you use something and then throw it away did you own it huh yeah so i've been thinking about a lot thanks to heidi julevitz uh the folded clock and it also makes me wish my journal was better written <laughs> 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 i mean she edited it but still <laughs> Uh, do you have some? Um, yeah, thinking about thinking about something that's fluffy, but that also deals with um, social issues. Terry, the late Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. Hmm. Um, you know, it's fantasy. It's a flat world on the back of four elephants on the back of a turtle floating through space, and there's wizards and stuff. But I remember reading those books as a kid. The the third book in the series is called Equal Rights, hmm. but rights like witch incantations. Mm-hmm. And it's about witches trying to become equalized under the law with wizards. And all of these, but like he's done it. He did it for, I think it were 41 books or something like that in the series when he finally passed away. And all of them have that level of, I'm just reading something funny and Uh fun. But then you're also like, oh, I need to be a better human being. Mm -hmm. I learned about like banking banking crises through (laughs) through, through one of his books. (laughs) That's amazing. <laughs> um, what would I, I you know, I, I am having an affair <laughs> with a book. Um, uh, a Little Life by Hanya oh, Yanagihara. I, I, oh, that it. book. You <laughs> won't read it? I didn't love The People in the Trees. Oh, well, see, I, so different. I haven't read People in the Trees. Right. Um, but I actually, I read an interview she did about the book. So, so when it told me about the book, I saw the cover and I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. And I picked it up and it was 700 pages. I said, <laughs> I put that right back on the shelf. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, I heard kind of people talking about it. And then I read an interview where she discussed the book and she is fiercely intelligent. She has this just like razor sharp mind. Um, and I was just so struck. And, the book is, it is long. I, de- I have it on my phone, <laughs> uh, which is like I do that like once every three years. I read a book on my phone. Um, but it is so good um, for guys um, become friends in college and then they move to New York City. And um, it's, you know, the, the typical four people trying to make it in the city. They all have different careers. But she then um, kind of upends that form because the, the gravity of the book is one of the friends, Jude, um, has this past that he's kept from his friends and he won't talk about it and um, and it is eating him alive 
And so the book is about male friendships and about, and she said, this is what she said in the interview, the fact that many, most men have a smaller emotional vocabulary, you know, and, and, and I've been thinking about that and I was like, wow. And I, it occurred to me that two of the most intimate things men do when we're communicating is not look at each other when we're talking, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. think about it. It's watching television. It's, you know, guys playing video games together. It's yeah. two old men fishing. You're not looking at each other. You're working on the car and then having a real engaging conversation or <coughs> we kind of grant each other silence, you know, a, a friend breaks down and you see it and you say nothing about it. And, th and that is an act of care. Mm -hmm. But um, the problem with that is she kind of explores when there's this pain and you've got to speak to it. You've got to. And you just don't have the vocabulary. It's just incredibly dangerous. Um, and so it's it's really powerful. And, I, and I'm working on a memoir now that's about masculinity and sexuality. So it's helpful. Uh, I loved A Little Life. And it's, I can't not stop thinking about it. I'm probably going to have to reread it. Oh which my is God. Like, it's so heavy. It's, that, like, it's, it's, like, it's like a bad boyfriend yeah. or something. Like, oh, it's just like, you, you know, he's no good for you, girl. And you're like, I know, I know, but the sex is so good. I just got to go back. Yeah. Um, so good. All right, but I'll read it. <laughs> but I do want to know more about your memoir. If you want to talk about that for a second. Sure, now. sure. What, um, what brought you to decide memoir yeah. time? Yeah, memoir time. Um, well, one, I mean, it's uh, really nice, you know, as Prelude to Bruise is in the world and, and people have been just so um, wonderful and reading and sharing and talking about it, I do I have no desire to write poems while that is happening. Um, but I do want to write. So it helps to be writing in a different form. Um, but uh, it's, the book's called um, How Men Fight for Their Lives. And um, in 2008, um, my senior year of college, I went to a New Year's Eve party in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, at the party, I met a straight guy, um, straight with, um, you know, asterisks there. <laughs> and um, I, we went back to his place and um, started having sex. And he had um, a literal crisis of masculinity and tried to kill me. Um, he, you know, he just, he snapped. He really snapped. And so, um, and, 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 and as we were, so then it became this protracted ordeal of us like wrestling literally for two or three hours until he passed out and I left. Um, he looked uh, terrified. Um, that's what I was struck. I mean, one, because I was so drunk. We both were like blackout drunk. Um, I was so drunk, I wasn't scared at any moment um, and was oddly aware of what was going on. I remember actually thinking about bell hooks and Audre Lorde essays <laughs> while this was going on. And he looked terrified. And he was, you know, he would say really disturbing things over and over. He would say, you're already dead. You're already dead. Um, he would say, I'm so evil. I'm so evil. And sometimes he would be laughing while he was saying it. Sometimes he would be crying and totally sorrowful. So I, it was just, I was just, I just will never forget um, the look on his face and that this was something that he has been struggling with his entire life and probably still is wherever he is. And, um, and so I wrote about it in an essay in 2012 and um, with the same title and, and decided that I wanted to write a book that would use memoir to make sense of how did I get to that room and how did he um, and, and my suspicion is that we're all in that room together, right? Even if you haven't had this, that incredibly dramatic uh, moment, you know, that I had in Phoenix, I think we're all somewhere on that continuum of seeing the, the, the difficulties and the cost of learning to be a man uh, and, 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 and manhood as a performance that has very high stakes. And, you know, and so the questions of what happens when we fail, 
What happens when we don't measure up? What happens when we're caught in the act, which is what I feel like happened with this guy. And um, so I've been working on it for a few years and, and I'm next, in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna leave the country for the summer and, and go hide in France and work on it. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah, if you're gonna hide somewhere, Every, go, yeah. hide France. France. go to go France. Go hide in France. Yeah. That's what it's there for. Especially <laughs> in like the national it. code. <laughs> That's yeah. all France is there. Uh, thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, thanks for yeah, coming thanks. on. <laughs>